and carry the show where we don't just report on fringe science spirituality and claims of the paranormal but we take part ourselves yep when they make the claims we show up so you don't have to i'm carrie poppy and i'm ross blotcher and all right you've been waiting for it we are back at the ark yeah all right baby let's visit the ark so if you haven't been with us on our last few episodes on the ark you're gonna have to go back a few weeks to catch up though this might also be a good alternate place to start arcternet arcternet i don't know an alternate place to start? I see now. Okay. <laughs> nope, that's no good. What but I really I want. I appreciate the effort. When, when I tell Jack what I really want is someone to have to pause and then say, oh, I see. So <laughs> <laughs> when I really know I've nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, mm-hmm. I'm glad we're back at the ARC because the ARC came up at Harvard this week. Did it? A lot of people don't realize this, but I actually go to Harvard. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I don't like to talk about it or like, and especially I don't like to name it. Yes. Um, but I've been taking these classes at Harvard Extension School where you don't have to apply to get in and uh, people should be impressed by my perseverance, but not at all by my application strategy. Anyway, during class, yeah. a fundamentalist Christian who's in my class. Oh, yeah. You've been sending me some of uh, this person's responses. Yes. They are uh, golden. She posted in the school discussion because spirituality came up. It's a resilience class. The yeah. professor mentioned that spirituality does tend to boost people's confidence and mood and all those things. It can be a part of your resilience package. And so this woman posts like, I'm so glad that the professor took a stand <laughs> um, because, you know, God is real and I can prove it. The ark has been found. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Ooh. And I was like, whoa, there's a lot here. Okay. And that same lady's going to go around in the same breath, tell people that and say, I'm in this class at Harvard. And- <laughs> the professor agrees with me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, probably. I did very politely reply to her. She got she got engagement with feedback. Well, this is just a good reminder and sampling of society that, yeah, people really believe that Noah's Ark is a real story that yeah. this happened. And it's a prevalent belief in America. We're talking mm-hmm. like forty oh, percent of the people, something on that order of magnitude. Mm-hmm. This is an idea worth taking seriously, at least in that respect. People do believe it. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's see if it's real. Ross has been there. Okay. So yeah, we've already talked a bit about the Ark and even in the interior. But one thing I was promising was that we'd go back in the Ark the right way. Mm -hmm. Because I kept walking up like through the gift shop on the lower level, which is fine. It takes you to the same place and you keep moving your way up the decks. But in the Bible, it says don't enter through the gift shop. (laughs) So I thought, okay, let's actually go in the way you're supposed to. And I'd like to take you with me. Okay, yeah. All right. Cool. I wasn't able to go on foot, so take me in my mind. I've got a little slideshow for Carrie here. We'll work our way through it, and you'll just have to listen to us talk about it. Yeah. I'll make really big reactions to the visuals, so you're <laughs> jealous of them. So they, they've curated this space. They want you to see it from a certain angle, approach it from that direction. And so we've talked before about how you come out of the answer center or walk through the rainbow gate, and there you see this majestic, massive 500 10 foot arc okay. across a pond from you. Did you take this photo? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it's uh, very picturesque. Can I move it toward me a little? Yeah. Whoa. Quite lovely. Beautiful. So, so Carrie's looking oh, at spring. a sunny oh. day. It's green. Yeah, you've got your pond and reflected in the pond is mm. this arc and the sky is intensely blue and there are clouds. And, yeah, it's quite lovely. This is lovely. Ken Ham's vision. 
This is the moment. We've talked about kind of moving to the left because over towards the left, there's this broad promenade that takes you to the VR place and eventually there will be the carousel and all the restaurants and then eventually the Ararat Zoo, all of these things that happen off to the left. But really the true entrance to the Ark is on the right. Mm -hmm. So let us go the right way and (laughs) take the road less traveled, the straight and narrow path, if you will. Yes, I will. To the Ark. So... As you walk down that side, there are topiary uh, that are kind of following the pathway between you and the lake and walking in toward the ark. So you've got some camels, two by two, and some elephants, and there's some lions. These are statues or something? Topiary. like Topiary. Yeah, plant it. sculptures. And then giraffes, which is interesting because the ark experience is so dead set against cartoonish depictions of the ark and they get really annoyed when they see giraffes and they've even made like a talking point out of this that we on the ark we include the giraffid kind but Mm. they we think would have probably had shorter necks then so on the ark you see these giraffes with you know relatively short necks oh that's kind of cool yeah and so it's just interesting that they have this kind of full necked giraffe or two of them oh i see yeah walking as topiary toward the ark Why do they think the necks were shorter or were they shorter? Do we know? Because they allow for the acceptable amount of evolution. I see. Within a few thousand years, their necks could have gotten longer. Micro or whatever. But because we have another extant relative of the giraffe that they acknowledge is part of the same kind. I see. The okapi, I believe. They want to have a common ancestor that would work for both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. I want to see a giraffe with a shorter neck. Yeah. Oh, you will. Okay. So one thing you run into is you're walking down the street, right in the middle, they've got one of those uh, displays where you stick your head in Mm -hmm. to become the character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So if mm -hmm. we were both there, I could have been Noah, you could have been Mzara, his wife. And now I've... opportunity. They don't label them. Uh, They've got, of course, a cast of characters of eight people who are on the arc. So there's four of these with the various couples. But uh, yeah, now I've come to, of course, recognize these characters. So Noah's in a blue robe and then his wife Imzara has like blue accents they're they're all color coordinated it's Mm -hmm. like seven brides for seven brothers but they were kind of directing us to walk on this additional little side pathway to the right I think because they wanted us to see these steelies these monuments that are carved in kind of like an ancient Mesopotamian style Mm. that uh, they've made to Yeah, they're pretty cool. They're cool sculptures. And I say steely. I think if you're pronouncing it the Latin way, it's stila and plural stile. But I'm going to say steely and steelies. Steely Dan. (laughs) So there are six of them. These really large, maybe 12 feet tall. They're big. Okay, yeah. These sculptures that show in relief the happenings of Genesis kind of one through four to sort of prepare you for the uh, Noah story. It's sort of like previously in Genesis. Right. As okay. you walk up, you can kind of get the the earlier story. And then there's... And then you see it and you say, oh, that's relief. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I thought these were pretty cool and well done. And also I can imagine being a kid seeing this and thinking, oh, this is like a reproduction of something somewhere. Oh, like, sure. This ancient record. Nope, this is all modern invention to make it look like it's some kind of ancient carving. But they're each labeled. It's in like the- walking through the Indiana Jones ride at Adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much like that. First of many seeming nods to sort of Disney 
uh-huh. organization for the space. Yeah. And, you know, well done. The, the level of artistry here is quite high. It's, it's pretty impressive. Game recognizes game. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So, Disney in the house. So this first one is creation of man. So it's just filling you in on, you know, I feel like everybody knows this well. Maybe not everybody does. But the idea that God created the earth and pulled man from the dust of the ground. The Bible idea. He set up this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve, the first woman, was created from his side to be a helper for him. Eve says, <laughs> actually, we should have knowledge. That's the first sin, you guys. Mm-hmm. The first sin of all time is saying, I don't know. <laughs> I think I think higher learning's important. That's the first bad thing a human ever did. Yep. It's yeah. really not a good sign. You know, and that really did not occur to me until after I'd left the faith. Me like, too. Oh, wow. The original sin yes. is wanting to know more. Yes. God was like, don't go over there. There's too much knowledge there. And then the girl is like, <laughs> I don't know. I think we should check. And then she ruins humanity for it. Correct. It's so bad. And that leads us to the next deal. <laughs> That's the story. Which is the fall of man. And sure enough. <laughs> and then she just gets blamed. The, the, okay, here we go. The sculpture itself is just images, but then they explain it for you nicely. And yes, the woman doesn't get as firm of blame here as I think traditionally we've heard, but it's very clear. The serpent lied to Eve, telling her that she would not die. Mm-hmm. If she eats the apple or the fruit. Eve took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some of the fruit to Adam and he ate it too. And then there's this kind of little breakdown of the blame game that happens. So he blames her. She blames the serpent because, of course, God comes along. He's walking in the garden looking for them, which, you know, that makes you ask about the nature of God, that he is Why a body that know? walks around. Yeah, exactly. Is he just playing with them? Like Surely you would play hi- hide and go seek. Like who could be under the ottoman? <laughs> right. I don't know. It's weird that it's moving like that, but that yeah. can't be Katie. I'm going to look over here. Absolutely. And it leads everyone to look back at the story and kind of inject their version of God into it. Uh-huh. Uh, the same thing with the serpent which I'm kind of surprised they do identify here that it was Satan in the guise of a serpent, which is uh-huh. kind of a theological point that isn't necessarily in the story. So, Oh, yeah, that but, was kind but of generally Most believed. people believe that, yeah. yeah it's just codified. interesting to see them write it so definitively mm-hmm. here, like, oh. Yeah, yeah, not acknowledging any I thought controversy. By the way, I should mention in reference to what you were noticing about the first sin being mm-hmm. the desire for knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading right now this series of books called The Remnant Trilogy. Okay. And it's written by Tim Chafee, who was my guide Your on buddy, the ark. yeah. And his co-author, K. Marie Adams. The first book was Noah, Man of Destiny, and I'm almost finished with book number two, Noah, Man of Resolve. Mm, okay. It's trying to paint this picture of Noah's whole life leading up to, you know, when he's 600 and the ark set sail. Well, there's oh no sail. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I didn't remember that detail. That's okay. right. 600. Okay. Uh, so, sure. so the whole first book is kind of him getting up to the age of like 40, then 50. He's sort of that okay. age for yeah. the first book. And then all of a sudden the second book, there's this jump where we shoot forward 450 years and now he's 500. <laughs> And oh my God. I thought that gap in Jesus's life in the Bible was kind of <laughs> conspicuous. This is pretty bad. Bigger gap. Yeah. Even when they're fleshing out this whole story, guess what he does for a living? 
Is this biblical or no. is this just, they're just adding this? They're okay. adding this. Yeah, they're trying to remain as much as possible consistent with the skeletal information we're given in the biblical account. Okay. So that gives them a lot of room for leeway. But then they're... And- trying to picture the world as they think it would have been. I'm doing some real A to Z here, but I'm guessing that he is somehow like them. So he like runs an organization or he's a pastor or he's a teacher or some sort of information sharer who is treated as an idiot. Okay. It's even more on the nose than that. Whoa. He He is Ken Ham. (laughs) No, he's a shipbuilder. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) touche. That actually seems like the worst choice because then why is everybody like, why are you building a ship? They'd be like, well, Noah builds ships, Judy. Yeah, but this one's crazy big. Yeah. So so it's a little out of the ordinary. But of course, it's a world with dinosaurs and other animals. And and because they don't want to use our names for the modern animals, they'll talk about the rumbler or- That's cool. You know, descriptive words for plants and animals and occasionally be like, oh, I get it. That's a dinosaur. Oh, I get it. Oh, right. That's kind of cool. This other Yeah. A lot of effort put into it. But the thing that reminded me is that there's this evil- territory that rises in power and its king is a character mentioned very briefly in the biblical account Lamech and he is not only creating this worship of a serpent god Mm. but also he is instituting this library of all knowledge and so he's sending out scribes to other wait uh, is this guy really bad territory yeah he's bad boo hiss but it's just like you know of course one of the things he's doing is building this temple to knowledge, essentially. Oh, And so wow. already kind of tying those ideas yeah, together. Yeah, it's like education bad. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'll have a lot more to say about the book series, but you know, I am enjoying it. I'm enjoying reading it. Yeah, yeah. I know. It sounds like a whirlwind, but wow. <laughs> okay, so the next steely that we wow. uh, approach is punishment and promise. Fall of Eve and Adam in the garden. Yeah, so now they've sinned, so they're confronted by God. God announces that that serpent who uh, tempted Eve, uh, one day her offspring will crush his head. And so this okay. this like sets up this prophecy thing. I, d- I don't know, the way I read the original, it sounds like someone you give birth to will crush the serpent's head. Mm-hmm. But now this is taken as like someone from your line and Jesus will eventually be the one oh, who isn't that interesting? crushes Sometimes the serpent's head. Sometimes time isn't clear in the Bible. Yes, that's right. Huh. Highly variable depending on what you need it isn't to do. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. This is also when we learn that childbirth will be painful. Oh, right. Apparently it wasn't before. And this is why we wear clothes, because now they realize they're naked. So Mm -hmm. God makes them the first clothes by killing some animal and giving them the skins. So look what you've done. This is what happens. Now you have to wear a dead animal. You get educated and suddenly you know you're nude. And they get banished and there's like a big fiery sword and some cherubim that are set up there to guard it to make sure they never come back. And you can't find that now because I guess they left after the flood because... Everything got all mixed up. The angels are like, ah, no one will find the Garden of Eden. It's gone now. Oh. We can relinquish our post. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen any cherubim with a flaming sword on Google Maps. <laughs> oh, uh, do these people think they know where the Garden of Eden was? Uh, that was one of Ken Ham's trick questions. And the answer was, ah, we have no idea. Because everything's okay. changed around. And they kind of have this, you know, we can't prove it, but we think it's implied in the Bible thing that it used to all be one big landmass. Okay. And then it split up. So they kind of believe in Pangea, but in a way more accelerated timeline for that. Right. But this all happened within human history. Uh, Very interesting. Oh, just. I still think they'd have a guess. Like they have a guess about like where the Ark was and stuff. 
right? Yeah. yeah. That, for that one, it does say it landed on the mountains of Ararat. So not necessarily mm -hmm. the one mountain we call Mount Ararat. Yeah. But they would say this is probably where it was. Yeah. Though they don't seem to believe that it still exists anywhere or is preserved. Yeah. I would just think like as long as you're making guesses and looking at the text and being like, okay, I'm triangulating these details to find mm -hmm. where the Ark was, you do the same on the Garden of Eden if it's important to you. Yeah. I would want to know. Totally. If I, yeah. if I really believed that thing was real, I'm I don't know where that is. I'm guessing they did all of the intellectual heavy lifting that they could to try to see if they could find yeah. consistent messaging from the Bible that matched up with today's geography. I mean, it does mention in the Bible the Tigris and Euphrates, which are okay. real rivers that we know. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many yeah. people in the audience fell for that trivia question, including mm -hmm. myself. Like, okay, well, we kind of know. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Ken Ham's answer to that was, no. I decide how much knowledge is too much and too little. <laughs> that's right. Me, Ken Ham. Don't go seeking it yourself. Oh, man. Another thing from the book. I was reading it and making highlights here and there, and there was this one moment where they unveil the snake sculpture and like there's a big festival and they're unveiling these temple prostitutes and you know the world is turning horrible and then a volcano goes off next to this terrible country and shakes everything up and spreads ash through the land and I was <laughs> so I was reading it I started thinking oh I better highlight this this is them showing that they believe God causes natural disasters to punish people who are uh -huh. evil <laughs> then I realized like, oh, right, I'm reading a pre-flood account. These people believe in a literal flood. Of course they believe natural disasters are sent by God. Oh, to, yeah, touche. <laughs> for a moment, I thought, I'm like, oh, I caught them. They believe that. And I was like, oh, right, duh. <laughs> they want it to be caught. That's their whole ministry yeah, yeah, yeah. is the belief Fair. that God sends disasters. Speaking of which, we are recording on a very rainy day. Yes, this is like the most rain California has gotten in years. We've had some insane flooding in yeah. the area. So if you can hear it in the background, there couldn't be a more appropriate backdrop. For this <laughs> yeah, story. yeah, it's true. All right. So the next steely is Cain murders Abel. And we've talked about this one a bit. Obnoxious story. Yeah. So you've got Cain, you know, son of Adam and Eve, and he grows plants. Mm -hmm. And that's even how they phrase it here on the sign. Abel offered the firstborn of his flock as sacrifices while Cain offered plants. Angry that God favored Abel's sacrifices, Cain murdered his brother. Oh my God. What a shit show, little family. It's such a weird story. First of all, I, like Cain kills his brother. Uh -huh. Then God puts a mark on him, the, the mark of Cain, so that everybody else will know not to kill him. Uh, oh, right. okay. Right, which seems like, what? okay, that doesn't sound like much of a punishment. Maybe because there's so few people and we need to populate the earth. But uh, he is sent away, or at least he, he leaves. He moves to the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay. And there he starts to build a city. And people have argued this ad nauseum throughout the ages. But the implication is that there's already like a people group out there. Right. But, but you, you don't just build a city. You yeah. need people for a city. <laughs> exactly. It's like, but you are the son of the first people. Right. And, okay. You took your wife with you. We assume the sign here says he took his wife. That means one of his sisters. And it, it doesn't seem like it's real. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. this, this happens multiple times. We'll get later to the Tower of Babel. And what just flummoxes me about that is that that event happened 70 years after the flood. Mm -hmm. So we've had 70 years to get so many people out of this small family mm -hmm. that now they're already quarreling and trying to fight with God and need to be confused into speaking different languages. You know why? 
Why? Because Eve wanted knowledge. That's right. That's bad. That's bad. So the vegan does survive in this story. Yeah. And he gets protected. Okay. Well, that part's good. What a weird story. It's like they didn't think out all the particulars. The whole thing is such a mess. But I want to return to, it doesn't seem real to you. Yeah. Do you need a minute to process that? Okay. Is this news for you? (laughs) I will kind of get into it even as I'm reading the book. And then every now and then after we've fought so much for internal consistency on these stories, you'll see one of those little pieces of external discontinuity like, oh, that doesn't match up with anything else we know about the world. Right. Oh, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Huh. That was a bigger earth shift for me maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Than it is now. You still can really go there mentally, though. It's obvious. Oh, like, yeah. It's very active for you. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That patterning is there. And so they talk a little bit about like his descendants. So the Bible gives you a tiny bit of who Cain begat and who begat begat from him. Mm-hmm. And then the other person that Noah comes from, that other better line, mm-hmm. is from Seth, who's born when Adam is 130. So he comes okay. later. Adam, by the way, ends up living to 930. So he's one of the longest. This doesn't lived sound real. People, <laughs> yeah, right. What's something wrong with wait that? A, wait a second. Hang on. Wait, maybe this didn't actually I happen. I don't think this is right. <laughs> and so the Bible like gives us the so and so we get so and so. There was another classic guy, like, writing. We always talk about Methuselah, who lived to nine hundred sixty-nine years old. Uh-huh. There was another guy, Jared. Yeah, we always do. Jared lived to nine hundred sixty-two. No, oh wow! No one ever talks about him. Oh yeah, he's older. No, he's seven years younger. Seven years. You oh, know, man. second best, and you just get forgotten by Oh, they were fighting history. for all those, like, Yahoo interviews about <laughs> being the oldest man. That's right. Yeah, we'll get to ancient reporters probably oh, in the next yes. episode. Oh, I can't wait. You guys are going to love it. <laughs> anyway, okay, I'm going to avoid getting drawn into the story of the two different Lamex from either side, but that comes up in the books. Uh, sorry, my head's in the books lately, so I mm. keep thinking about it. All right, so then we get to the fifth out of six steelies. We've got uh, wickedness fills the earth, and so that's where we learn that God starts grieving that he has made mankind because all of man's thoughts are focused on evil. They become exceedingly wicked. Uh, But there is Noah, who is a righteous man, thankfully. So that is the sixth and final steely, is introducing us to Noah. He's someone who fights against the evil of his day. He's born in the 10th generation, and I've seen them do the math. You know, like if you have enough people having enough sex, making enough babies in these very long lives of theirs, you could have tens of thousands of people or more sure. by this generation. So, okay. All right. So now at least everybody who's walked along here and seen these lovely carvings and read the little signs explaining them now has the backstory in their heads, and they are ready to proceed to the ark. There's also like some exhibits on the other side of those monuments where there's supposed to be live birds, like a hornbill and some other birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently there was a local avian influenza outbreak and oh, they no. said, we've stowed our birds for their safety. Oh, oh okay. So that's okay, good. Okay. No birds. All right. So now it's funny. I, I think when you first saw it, it was hard to distinguish kind of what was the front of the boat versus the back yeah. of the barge. Sorry, not boat. Ship. Thank you. I was just talking about this with my son today that we don't use the word ark in any other context mm. outside of the biblical ark. We don't talk about any ark large. Ark with a K anyway. Yeah. Like for a boat and say like, oh, wow, wow look, nice ark you've got there. Mm-hmm. Same with like an ark of the covenant. You know, those mm-hmm. aren't just general terms. I I do like barge for this now Mm -hmm. because the idea is that it wasn't like a sailing vessel that you would point in any direction. 
it's just this thing that's meant to stay afloat and hopefully turn into the waves. That was one thing that they talked about. Oh, you know what? This is interesting. This is kind of the the Galapagos uh, ship that we were on yeah. was built specifically partly to do what you're describing, to just sort of like sit in the water and oh. be able to sort of take laps and okay. stay afloat because it's expected to be near shore so often, but the Galapagos government says you can't actually dock for protection of the ecological oh. area. So they had to build this whole special kind of ship that I guess, now that I think about it, was kind of arc-like. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh, huh. A barge of sorts. Huh. And how would you get off onto the land? Would they have to lower a gangplank or? No, you just had to take little skipper boats. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you're approaching the actual entrance to the Ark, uh, you are walking under the stern projection. That's what they call it. The stern projection. So yeah, it's again, not built like a big box as some people have pictured the Ark over the years. There's this big structure on the front that's just meant to kind of catch the wind. Okay. But again, not specified in the Bible. It's purely up to the imaginations and research of the people who built this thing. And then on this back end, you have sticking out of the back on the bottom, like along the keel, it extends out farther and then curves back up into the main shape of the arc. Uh, And so they refer to that as the stern projection. Okay. And there's even a sternly worded website (laughs) that they have on the Ark Encounter page. Is that their pun or your pun? Mine. Oh, good. But <laughs> they, they talk about how people get really confused about the back and the front and they send us these emails <laughs> and they think we got it backwards. No, this is... <laughs> this is your stern reply. It's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Many people have had that same note when I'm looking sure. at it. Like, this feels backward. So then you walk into this little queuing area and there's a windy path and you actually enter under the ship okay. from the opposite side. And already you're kind of like breaking the illusion. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have wanted to lead people back here because you're seeing where the arc runs into this giant stucco building yeah. and gets bisected. It like 9-11s this building. 9-11s, okay. <laughs> yeah, is it, yeah, are you past 9-11 enough for me to call this 9-11s sure. building? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like halfway into it. Takes a big chunk out of it. And yeah, it kills the magic a little bit. Yeah, in the building, Indeed. If, if this were real. <laughs> but I'm starting to feel like this whole thing isn't real. <laughs> And then right as you're about to enter there, there's this stack of stones to the right, which you could easily just assume a gardener did for fun until you see there's a little plaque here calling it the 12 Stones Monument. Oh, for the 12 tribes of Israel? You got it. I knew it. Exactly right. Uh, So, yeah, it's referencing a little scene that happens in the book of Joshua. That phrase I was saying, by the way, was the 12 tribes of Israel. Well enunciated. (laughs) Anybody didn't know what the fuck that was. So there's this later incident where Joshua is trying to unite everybody together. And so he tells a representative from each of the tribes to bring a stone and they stack them next to the river. Okay. And so in the same way, the board members of Answers in Genesis and the Ark Encounter stack these 12 stones. That's cool. As a dedication, if you ever now see that phrase, 12 stones this, 12 stones that, you'll mm-hmm. kind of understand where that reference comes from, mm. including the 12 Stones Christian Academy, which was founded by Ken Ham's daughter, Renee, who has a master's in science and educational leadership. Guess well, where she well. earned that degree? Harvard? No. I don't know any other schools. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, okay, wait, let me think about it. Um, where did Ken Hang go? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, not there. Uh, Trinity University 
Liberty University. Getting warmer. William Jennings Bryan College. Uh, we've talked about it on this. Oh, Bob series. Jones. Bob Jones BJU. University. The incest goes many different ways. Oh, Harvard's main competitor. <laughs> All right. So then you're ready to walk under the arc. And in another nod to Disney, they have prepared this place for massive queuing. So they're just picturing hundreds of people just dying to get into the ark. Please let us in here. The water's coming. Yeah. And so they've got just these endless metal bars and like a maze for you to walk through. Oh, it's like an abattoir. Yeah, sure. It really is. I mean, I've been on the floors of abattoirs. That's what they look like. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Being led to the slaughter. Uh, So this is where if you had thousands of people waiting to get in, you could line them up. But it's all empty because nobody's waiting. We're just walking (laughs) down the edge. (laughs) So I wonder how full this thing has been at its fullest. But they've got little TV screens playing highlights from their Creation Museum and from the Ark itself and advertising their various other programs and services. Have you ever heard the phrase, if if you build it, they will come? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it feels like that didn't happen here. As a kid, that was my favorite movie. What's that from? Field of Dreams? Mm -hmm. I've never seen it. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, if you'd asked me up until the age of... 12, 13, I probably would have said Field of Dreams. Oh, wow. Favorite movie. So, yeah, they built it all right. (laughs) (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. So, yeah, at this point, you are, you're under the arc. You can see, like, the wooden planks above you as you're walking underneath it. And then you've got all these stucco-covered cement pillars holding everything up. So this is, like, the big queue area. And then on the opposite end of that is the gift shop on that same level. So Mm. If you just walked from one end to the other at your normal walking speed, how long do you think it would take? Uh, That's a good question. I I mean, I could calculate that pretty quickly because it's 510 feet. Uh, but I would say a matter of minutes, like maybe two minutes of walking. Okay. Okay. Not too far. There's also a whole host of strollers and little mechanized carts for you to use to get around the arc as well. But yeah, nobody in front of me. There's like some other stragglers. I came back multiple times. One time I saw people in the next queuing area, mm-hmm. but I don't think I ever saw people like waiting in this area okay. they'd set up. So I don't know. Yeah, I could be judging it. On an off day or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So could be. Maybe it Probably does. Or not, but get, could be. <laughs> maybe it does get those kinds of crowds. There's also an interior map of the arc down there, which is very helpful. I kept referring to that just to help me kind of understand the multiple decks of the arc. So you've got this ground level that we're on, and then you've got deck one, deck two, deck three, and we've mentioned that kind of hidden fourth deck that's used for storage up top. Yes. All right, so then you walk up these long wooden ramps uh, to get you up to the first floor. Ooh. There's just there's so much wasted space down there. And yeah, Carrie's looking out. There's this giant side of the building that's built out of wood and it's letting light through it. And It's very pretty. Yeah, it's fun to look at. It's like a, like a barn, seen inside a barn. My impression was just like, wow, they've got more space than they know what to do with here. Yeah, this sure. This thing is truly huge. Like, have you ever been on Living Off the Land at Epcot? Or I Living have not. With the Land? Great ride. Love it. It's so great. But they have so much space in it that I was going through it once and there was just like someone had left a box, like a cardboard box was just sitting on the side of the ride because there's just so much room in there. <laughs> but like someone had just set that down, gone on with their day working at Epcot. So uh-huh. I was just going through this ride and I was like, hey, there's someone's stuff. That's cool. <laughs> what the, you had too much space in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking the illusion a little bit too. Yeah. So once you get to the top of the ramps, there's a little photo station with green screens. So there's people there, usually like kids that look like they're uh, 
2018, mm -hmm. uh, ready with cameras to take photos of you or your family and then composite those on top of photos of the arc, which yeah, you could take yourself right outside. So True. I passed that up and I don't even know how much they charge for it, but you pay for it there and then go to the gift shop to pick it up later if you wanted one of their lovely prints. So then you walk through a glass sliding door, like one of those like supermarket doors that sees you and opens up. Mm -hmm. It just feels like a weird way to walk onto the arc, but that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. yeah, again, breaks the illusion by making it too modern. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just seemed like the wrong place for that, but maybe they need it for weatherproofing or something like that. Anyway, so as you first step into the arc to your right and left, they've got cross sections uh, to show you what the whole of the arc probably would have looked like in the original. There's kind of two envisionings of this. So I, I don't know if these were like alternate models or if these were supposed to be different parts of the same structure, but one was purely wood-based and the other one had metal nails and mm, maybe some yeah, okay. different different methods of carpentry and woodwork, maybe just to give us a, here's a couple ways this couldn't have been accomplished. Oh yeah, okay. But there were like three major sections to that. The outer one facing the outdoors had a bunch of really thick planks of wood that were staggered four or five levels deep and then held together either by nails or wooden joiners. I doubt they made the whole structure like that. Mm -hmm. Probably it just needs to look good to the outside. But this was at least a way to show us how they thought Noah would have done it. Uh, in the middle level, there's just these giant solid pieces of wood which they have curved and goodness, I can only imagine what Noah the shipwright would have had to do to bend these massive mm. four foot wide hunks of wood. Yeah. Why doesn't God just give him a ship? That would be nice. Yeah. God can't do that. Oh, you can do right. many things, but you got to build your own ship. Here's all the water. You build the boat. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally you have this third layer that's the inside that's just these kind of like square sections or rough trapezoids that kind of follow that curvature and provide the inner surface. And we assume all of this is being covered with pitch, which I always think of as tar, but others have pointed out to me can also just be like plant resin. So mm -hmm. I'll seed that point to them. But nowhere did I see them actually using that. You think they would at least take a little section and be like, here's what we think it would have looked like with pitch on it. Mm. And then you're like, I can't hear pitches. <laughs> That's right. I, can't hear. <laughs> I was just going to make a joke about someone pitching that idea and getting <laughs> shot down. Uh, and then Th this is an ongoing joke because Ross works at Disney and people try to pitch in movies and you're not allowed to. I'm not allowed to hear receive them. them. Sorry. So we make jokes about how many versions of the word pitch there are. Because then when we release our movie later, we don't want you coming back and saying like, oh, I first told one of your employees that same idea. Right. And then they're like, that. well, we have 6,000 employees. What do you want us to do here? Right, exactly. So then uh, to your right, uh, as you walk in past those cross sections, there's a little kiosk and there was a woman there who was selling various educational materials, uh, companion guides, anything that you might need. I don't know if they had an audio guide. They did have like a little sign telling you how to use Google Translate in mm. case you don't speak English. Oh, here's, cool. here's how you hold it up mm -hmm. and see a translation of our signage. But I bought from her this book that I've handed to Carrie here. Arc Encounter Educational Guide Answer Key Grades 7 through Adult. So uh, I was pretty excited by this and they worked out the tax so it came to exactly $2. <laughs> this is just like a nice little collection of 
facts and companion pieces to the various displays. So like I'm showing Carrie the monument walk. That's what they call all of those steely sculptures. I like this paper. Oh, yeah. It like absorbs the tiniest bit of moisture. So it's very soft. Ah. Do you feel that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. It's I had not nice. noticed that. Almost like a vellum. So yeah, she gave me that. And then I stowed it away to look at later because I didn't want to be distracted. Oh, while walking through the arc, but this is a very good companion piece. Yeah, okay, so where are we now here? Yeah, because we're past Joshua's 12 stones, entering the arc. Yep, yep, we're right here. Okay. Across from you is another sculpture, much like we saw on the monuments outside, but this one is carved out of wood. You can see there, there's Noah in oh, the center. Pretty. Yeah, it's. Oh, I love the symmetry there. It's actually a really cool sculpture. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he's got his hands wow. up and floating above his hands is a little replica of the Ark. Yeah. And then check this neat. out. Next to him is. A boot and a snake. He's stomping on the snake. That's okay, right. So this is, he's metaphorically. This is a foretelling of Christ okay. to comes, all part of the promise of God's plan. Oh, wow. And then around the outside of that oval that he's in, you've got the waves outside and then all the animals up above and the birds all surviving. Damn, I got to admit, this is some of the best Noah's Ark art I've ever seen. Yeah. So this is original cool. for them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they, they got some top-notch artists it, It's got some thing. like Ken Herring style stuff going on at the oh, bottom with the waves. Oh, very nice. I, I don't recognize the name. Oh, he did those. Um, uh, He was a San Francisco artist uh, and an AIDS activist. He did those people who would like have very angular Care's little doing the bodies. walk like an Egyptian. Yeah, thing. that kind of like squiggly arms, long bodied. And then he likes to oh. use like multiple lines. I'm just going to pull one up. I'm yeah. probably not describing it well. I'm no Ross. Cool. I want to see this. Keith. I think you'll know when you see it. Oh, I've totally seen these before. Oh, that's fun. So that same like, you know, background of many. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. This is a lines. good example of alternating dark and light lines, like equally thick that mm -hmm. paint a, a picture. Yeah, that's cool. Removes uh, depth intentionally. Mm hmm. Flattening the space. Absolutely. Very cool. So then around the edge of that, it's got a section from Genesis 7, and I think you'll maybe get a chuckle out of this. On the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year, okay. all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven opened. On the very same day, Noah, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives entered the ark. All the livestock, every beast, every winged creature, and every creeping thing in which is the breath of life went into the ark two by two. Yeah, not everybody went on. I mean, didn't most people not go on? I thought you said, though, like everything that lives, but maybe that oh, doesn't include human. No, the beasts of the field and the birds okay. of the air and every creeping thing. So, they, Oh, creeping. We're not creeping. Humans okay, are not creeping it. things. We're the okay. only non-creeping animal. Now got I it. see where your head was going. Okay. Got it. <laughs> yeah, that would be clever. You try to get in like, hey, just, <laughs> just on all fours. Just creeping by. <laughs> Don't mind me. I read the rules. <laughs> I'm allowed to crawl in. I intercepted the message from God. <laughs> Uh, now check your own board of directors documents. I think you'll find. <laughs> so here, in the bylaws. Here, here on the wall is where we find that artistic license <laughs> display. Which oh, oh, their pun. Yes, very I good. I highly good approve of. Well, yeah, well done. Good sense of humor. 
So they ask and answer a few questions for you. Is the Ark Encounter adding to scripture? And they make it very clear. Okay, we've added some things for storytelling, like the women's names that the Mm -hmm. Bible just left out. (laughs) Or shared grandmothers, somehow not important to know who they are. We decided the serpent definitely is the devil. Yeah. So they let you know, you know, we do have to elaborate here and there, but we try to make it clear. Uh, Then they have a, a blue sign that says, what do the animals look like? And that says, the Ark's animals may look different from what people expect. And wherever possible, like we've tried to look at fossils, like they've sort of figured out where they think the flood happened geologically. Sure. And so they're pulling just enough like scientific data to say, okay, we accept that this would have been alive around the time this was the ancestor of what became camels or this became the Good, ancestor. Good, now put that book away. <laughs> exactly. That's enough. Don't look anymore. <laughs> exactly. So they've tried to put a lot of effort into backdating these creatures to maybe not look like the modern ones we're used to. Uh, they have a separate panel asking who was Noah's wife. The Bible gives some specifics about Noah. He's a righteous man. He's a husband. He's a father. But it does not tell us what he looked like, how he dressed, or what his hobbies might have been. We are told even less about his family. And scripture does not even reveal the names of his wife and his daughters-in-law. Artistic license was taken to name these four women, develop their backstories, and craft their appearance. The next panel is what did the ark look like? So they talk about the details that were given and say, our ark is based on the biblical data and shipbuilding research, but we used artistic license in many areas, including the design of the ship's interior and exterior structure, as well as the mechanisms for animal feeding and waste removal, which we'll get into very soon. Ooh, I know you're exciting about poop stuff. Yes. Sure. And then finally, uh, research-based enhancements. To design the Ark and many of its exhibits, the Ark Encounter necessarily used some artistic license to fill in information the Bible does not mention. To minimize the amount of license, these extra details were often based upon research of ancient history from hair and clothing styles to exhibit and ship design. So there you go. They put some work into this. It's good that they acknowledge all that. I think they're making it simpler than it is, mm. explaining away their inconsistencies a little But It also has kind of the feel of any remaining errors are ours. Like when mm-hmm. you write in a book, like, I consulted with so-and-so and so-and-so yeah. and so-and-so. But, you know, this is still supposition. I, no, I think that's what they're going for. And I half respect it. And then I'm like, but in your position, you are taking the source material and extrapolating in some cases and coming to really weird conclusions in others. I don't, I don't know. It just seems yeah. like they're, they're acting like we're being really straightforward most of the time. Mm. And then 5% mm-hmm. of the time we're doing something we had to do, which was this extra storytelling. And I'm like, I don't know if I agree about the 95. I agree with you about the five. Gotcha. Yeah. I would see kind of like a similar bit of fancy footwork being done here where wherever we have kind of useful, interesting things to insert into the perceived inconsistencies or lack of detail in this story. We'll do that. Great. But then when things really don't make sense, we'll just kind of brush that aside and right. talk about it. You know? Right, right. You must have faith. So we'll very selectively give tons of detail in the areas where we feel really confident and yeah. then just sort of ignore everything else. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that happening. And then storytell over the gaps. Yeah. Lots of storytelling. Absolutely. The next thing that we see are just rows and rows of small animals in cages that's what they call it on the map okay uh, so you can Bummer. see yeah you can see this is what the animal cages look like i'm showing carrie these boxes just rows and rows of boxes so they'll be side by side and then they're stacked two on top of each other and i don't know roughly each one is about three and a half feet wide 
maybe a foot and a half to two feet tall. And for the most part, they're sort of built out of like one by four planks of wood. Mm -hmm. But then you can see the bars of the cage, if you will, are bamboo. And they put them really close together. I think not because they didn't give the animal any room to see into the ark, but because probably they didn't have to then fill these boxes with actual animals if they put the slats close enough together. That's Mm. my guess. They were just trying to save themselves time from having to model too many animals. Uh, So essentially you've got a box that the animal can fit in and it's probably about, I don't know, like three feet deep or something. And on the outside, there's these prominent little structures and you can kind of guess at them immediately. You've got clay water dispensers. Oh yeah. And they put some thought into that. Like this is supposition, but we think, you know, if we were building it smartly, like we think Noah could have, uh, you would have had like water filled inside of this clay, looks like an inverted water bottle. And then the pressure would drive it down as the animal laps it up on the other side out of a bowl. It looks like a penis. Oh, okay. Hanging down. Hadn't thought that. Probably an uncircumcised penis, but okay. Thank you. A penis with little uh, handholds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Okay. Help a person out. Uh, they also, on the other side, they had a little food chute. So you dump all your food in there and it slow releases at the bottom as the animal eats at its own pace. So they've thought all that out. And they've also thought out these little poop chutes underneath. So even if you've got like two or three stacks on top of each other, they've got little slanted boards underneath each cage. So they've left holes in the bottom of the cage enough for the poop to fit through so it falls onto the board and then it falls down to a central collection area Mm -hmm. into a little trough that the human can easily collect yep they do that in uh poultry farming Mm, so sounds similar they've pictured noah as this very efficient builder and savvy architect essentially who's just kind of thought of all of these little particulars and here's how we would build it if we were him uh, then there's just, again, kind of wasted space. You're, you're sort of walking around, you're seeing the, the stern area. So there's just this big empty area where you can kind of see the structure of the ship. Interesting, though you immediately notice that all of these big pillars holding everything up have modern steel plates and mm-hmm. uh, bolts driven into them. So interesting. Okay, I guess you're assuming a certain amount of metal work or you're at least not trying to build this all out of wood. Yeah, they had to be going through so many uh, where you have to ask the city li- licensures, nightmares oh, for this. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, we want this to feel ancient, but you're telling us we have to put this here? Exactly. I, I bet that's a lot of the inconsistent, like that exit sign that's hanging down there and yeah. it's glowing red. That's- I they wanted that. <laughs> it's a very good point. Yeah. yeah, and every now and then you'll see like a little thermostat or a, <laughs> you know, like a little side door used as a janitor's closet yeah. or something like that. So yeah, all, all of these things are there and they do hasten to say this is just a consumer yeah. facing guest attraction. Of course. To I mean they have no other choice. Give like, you the idea. Yeah, yeah, we're a very regulated economy here. And we've in ta- this way. In mm, this way. In this way. <laughs> we're okay with regulation. Yeah. We'll accept these ones. And we've mentioned before. There's lighting everywhere that makes all of this feel very warm, accentuates the kind of golden tone of the wood. Uh, so you've got these yeah, little hanging triangular wooden structures hanging from ropes that have uh, simulated clay lamps, but of course it's all electric. Very Beauty and the Beast 1993, those colors. Ah. Am I right? 1993? That might be 1992. Uh, earlier. <gasps> 91? 90? 91. One. <laughs> yes. Because okay. Rescuers Down Under was 90. Okay. 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 That one. Very good. Rich, warm yellows and browns, golds, mm. little blue poking out. And I'll say again, this whole time we have music playing. 
Yeah, super cinematic. Yeah, yeah. You know, that'll I, control your experience. Yeah, it really, it really does set an experience. And got to say, I didn't get particularly tired of it, even though I was mm-hmm. hearing it over and over. And you get to different areas, and then some different music would take over, or there'd be a, a movie to watch, or something like that. So it wasn't nonstop, but uh, certainly in this area, it's just playing on loop. And yeah, uh, quite well composed. Yeah, I wonder who did that. But yeah, I feel like they said, give us something that feels like a cinematic score. I'm gonna see if I Google Ark Encounter music what comes up music of the ark encounter oh they have an audio cd written by john campbell well done john campbell john what's up oh he also did the music for the creation museum oh hey okay makes sense he's a blues guitarist singer songwriter in shreveport louisiana if it's the same john campbell okay interesting he also did the music for adventures in odyssey oh whoa yeah okay going way back to our childhoods the old focus on the family production wow okay johncampbellmusic.com if anyone's interested yeah so after all these cages now you come to this little area that the map just calls noah gives thanks okay now i'm gonna play a video for you Okay, I'm reminded of two things. Okay. Disney's Hall of Presidents mm-hmm. and the Salem Witch Trials Museum in Salem. <laughs> okay, yes. So they've built animatronics here, and these ones aren't too expressive or anything. They're just the family worshiping God. Only one is moving, right? Yeah, just okay. Noah, really. It feels kind of creepy and cultic to me. It does, totally. If- yeah, so he's standing. And his friends and family are like knelt around him in a semicircle. It feels like they're bowing to him. Right. Yeah, they're kind of angled to him. They're all supplicating. They've got their heads down. One of the daughters-in-law has her hands lifted and she's looking up towards the heavens. It's always interesting when I can kind of see Christian ritual or in this case, a pre-Christian ritual that Christians would smile upon as they would look at any other people worshiping in a different way. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. to see it as so kind of creepy and sinister and what mm-hmm. are they doing? Mm-hmm. It's just <laughs> like to the uninitiated, it looks pretty creepy. Uh-huh. And he's in front of an altar. It's uh, built out of wood and it has coals on the top. So I assume there's some kind of like metal pan or something like that. They're also wearing, and this makes sense, but they're wearing like Middle Eastern type garb. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, with modern day eyes, you know, this looks almost... Muslim, like mm-hmm. just aesthetically. Totally. But in this context, isn't skeeving out these Christians from the Midwest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, checks out. Yeah. I mean, good, I guess, but they're not making that association and freaking out. And on the altar itself, there's this carving of a tree with like a deep root system. It's like, is that the tree of life, maybe? That was the mm. other tree that was not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which is bad. He's kind of muttering too, which again, the sound adds to all of this. So you mm. can't really hear what he's saying too well. Oh, man. He's speaking some indistinct language, of course, that that we don't have. But but creepy. But creepy, yeah. The overall feeling I get is creepy. Oh, and, you know, there's an intense blue light shining down on him. And behind him, there's lightning going off, which feels like Pirates of the Caribbean or something. (laughs) Totally, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, they're giving us the impression of like a, huh. a stormy night at sea. But yeah, yeah, it's just weird. And so presumably what he's saying is this Noah's prayer. So we're, mm. we're given two prayers on either side of this group. And, and this, are these from the Bible? Nope, not from the Bible. Whoa, not okay. Right? Yeah, you want to so read? This is what I mean. Want to read Noah's prayer? Okay. So this is uh, on this big board against a painting of like these blue turbid waters. God of heaven. 
We ask for your mercy through this terrible storm. You called me to build a ship to preserve my family and the animals that you brought to me, and I have sought to be faithful, to honor you in all that I have done. Preserve us now through your judgment on this world, as you have promised, and we will be faithful to serve you all our days. Putting words in Noah's mouth. <laughs> but, okay. It's a jumbotron from Noah. <laughs> and then on the other side, again, they're always trying to drive home the salvation. They have our prayer. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that says, God brought Noah through the catastrophic storm, showing him mercy and grace during the judgment. Noah was faithful in his generation to honor the creator and do as he commanded. We are all descendants of Noah and should follow his example. Our storm of judgment is coming, and the Lord has offered mercy and grace through his Son, Jesus Christ. Honor the God of heaven and earth, follow him, and live forever. Wow. That's actually not very much of a prayer. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, an advisory board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, it you're right. It should be called, like, Our Thoughts... <laughs> <laughs> Ken Ham's additional contributions. Our takeaway, why this whole thing is here. Yeah, cliff notes. Against the wall on the other side of that, then you have all of these giant stores of like flour and mm. giant jars of clay, I guess you would say. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> it, Our world is a flood. Oh, do they play Jars of Clay's Flood there? That would be great, but no, they don't. I wonder if they've asked and Jars of Clay has politely declined. Oh, you know maybe we'll have to know? ask Stephen Mason. You know who's pretty good at texting me back? That's right. Stephen, Stephen is Mason. Uh, responsive. Yeah, let me let me text him real quick. <laughs> hey, Stephen. <laughs> do you know about the Ark encounter in... Kentucky. We are curious if they've ever asked y'all's permission to play Flood. As far as we know, they don't play it, mm -hmm. but should. <laughs> okay. So as with everything, they've got a sign explaining all those pots and bags. Uh, it says, The Lord instructed Noah to take aboard the ark enough food for his family and for all the animals, Genesis 6.21. While the animals would have taken up considerable space, much of the vessel would have been filled with foodstuffs, water, and other items. The bags stacked along certain walls represent sacks full of seeds, nuts, or dried fruits and vegetables. And the tall, thin clay pots could have been used to store a variety of grains. Affixing wax seals to the top of the containers would prevent spoilage and keep animals from getting into the food if they happen to escape. The short, wide clay pots were built to store liquids. Plant-based oils, such as olive oil, could have been stored as a fuel source for the lamps throughout the ark. Most of the water for drinking and cleaning would have been stored in cisterns on the second and third decks, but a backup supply of drinking water could have been held in these broad containers. So... Just letting us know their thought process. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they start answering some other key questions that maybe people had about the ark. For those of us with answers in Genesis, they have questions. Was Noah required to bring spiders and insects on the ark? Yeah, was he? The Bible doesn't seem to indicate that insects and other arthropods were required on the ark. The animals that entered the ark were those in which is the breath of life. I remember whenever mm -hmm. I heard crawling, I pictured yeah, bugs. bugs. But now they start to really analyze the wording of this. Several verses later, the text explains that all of the land animals in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. 
insects do hmm. not breathe through nostrils. Ah. They take in air through ah. spiracles in their exoskeletons. Right. And they could likely survive the flood on floating debris as eggs or in the larval or pupil form. So, oh, no, this might be true. So it is doubtful that insects were required to be on the ark, although perhaps the more delicate insects were on board, such as butterflies and moths. Even if the biblical description should be understood to include insects on the ark, there still would have been plenty of room for them. While there are many kinds of yeah, insects- Yeah, they'd live on the animals. I mean, like there'd be plenty of fleas and shit. Mm, good point. Yeah, the animals came in two by two, but the fleas on them came in- <laughs> In the thousands. Yeah, 185 <laughs> by 185. So they're arguing we still could have fit them, plenty of them. Yes. Because uh, well, they wouldn't sure. require that much space. So they've worked all that out. The kinda. cicadas just chirping away. Which reminds me of uh, another display they had here showing how, well, we could have set this up so that you had these little boxes where you would replicate moths, just have them growing with abandon, but little mm. tubes where they could fly through and they would go in where the lizards were and those other creatures could then eat the moths. Ooh, we have a response from Stephen Mason. Already. I'm so, telling you. He's so good. It says, ha 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 He's not typing either. <laughs> so that's the that's response the they would have so gotten far. if they'd asked for it. I don't it. know. We'll, we'll see if more comes through. That's funny. Uh, they also had like a separate display about how they would handle, say, reptiles and amphibians because they need to be kept moist. So they had like a whole different type of animal habitat where they had pots and they had little raised punts essentially like in the center that would create like a little raised area for the lizard to hang out and there'd be a little moat of water around it so you know they, they thought all these things yeah, out here's fun. how here's how we'd keep them alive here's where we'd collect some real serious world building collect their poop exactly yeah, yeah. they've really really dedicated themselves to it tolkien shit and believing that it's all veridical it actually happened yeah Cloth yeah, on the Dungeons top. and Dragons. Pour water through the top. Yeah, it's real dedication to fiction. It's that same impulse, though. That same thing. Like, some people just love to get lost in a world like that. Mm -hmm. It's just not my bag. But, yeah. but I get it that that is, a, that is a thing. And that is a thing that a lot of people are really into. And this can just be your hobby. Mm-hmm. And that you have shims whenever something seems inconsistent that you just latch onto that problem. Ooh, ooh, I can invent a solution. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. oh, let's let's spin it this way. Let's retcon it a little bit. You know, technically that's consistent with what was said. I've created a tiny little off-ramp where my story can still mm -hmm. be possible. And that's all I need. Yeah. As long as that off-ramp is there, uh, I've done my work. Oh, Stephen Mason's typing again. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> I'll let you know what happens. Okay. So here's another sign they have. Have 99% of all species gone extinct? They, okay. They really hate this. So we are free. <laughs> I don't like it either. What? Sure. It feels like different reasons, but uh, yeah. I'm also not a fan of- I vote no for mass extinction. We Maybe are, humans, but- It says, we are frequently told that greater than 99% of all species that ever lived on Earth are now extinct. This number is severely inflated, being based on the evolutionary assumption that living creatures have been going extinct at an estimated rate for approximately 3.5 billion years. Including microorganisms, roughly 1.8 million species have been documented, and it is assumed that between 2 to 14 million more species currently exist. 
Thus, if the 99% figure is accurate, then there must have been anywhere from 375 million to 1.6 billion species that have gone extinct. In reality, we cannot know with certainty how many species have gone extinct. The amount of documented extinct species only numbers in the thousands, not in the millions or billions. Okay. Okay, yeah, I just don't feel like I have the foregoing information in the body of that to make the conclusion at the bottom of it. Mm, goodness. There, there's a few problems they have with it. First of all, the Bible tells us that there was no death until the fall of man. Right. And Which, again, was wanting to know stuff. <laughs> right. And also, you know, the species question comes to know in the ark. Well, did you bring on all of these extinct species? And and so they are just very miffed with the scientific conclusion that mm-hmm. that many, many more species have gone extinct. And that's for a variety of reasons. You've got many species that just evolve out of existence. So there's nothing recognizable that is the original creature in its descendants. Yeah. But also we've had mass extinctions, like five times in the earth's past where everything's been nearly obliterated yeah and then the remnants have had to evolve to fill those same biological niches as their forebears anyways they don't like any of that that's too complicated a picture and they Mm -hmm. they disregard it here and what do you think is their main gripe there what what is the motivation behind fighting that particular fact I think the main one is the criticism that there's no way you could fit all the species on the ark. There's too oh, many. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, and they're that saying, helps me pull this all together. The picture's way simpler than that. We've, I see. We've narrowed it down to 1,398 mm. kinds that needed to be represented. Mm, that's what There's it is. more than enough room for them on this giant totally. wooden structure. Those sorts of moments are the most interesting to me because it's where you kind of get what's actually going on in the creator's Mm. head. Mm -hmm. So that's that's really interesting, that fact. And actually, it reminds me of something I read in the book. So you lent me the New Answers book one, which has over 25 questions on creation and evolution in the Bible. (laughs) Now I think of you all the time when I see these numbers. Like recently they were saying that uh, fewer than a dozen documents were (gasps) found in- Was it one? Yeah, Biden had these classified documents. And this is like, so that means 11, right? Like why why, why say fewer than a dozen? It turns out it was 10. Why not say 10? 10? Why not fewer than, what are you- what are you trying to Unless there's some legal barrier there where it's like you've done a you've done a bigger wrong oh, in sure. the law, but then you think <laughs> they'd say that. Okay, yeah, I love moments where you just kind of realize what the the internal motivation for us even dealing with this subject matter is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens in this book. So there's a chapter by Ken Ham called Couldn't God Have Used Evolution? Ah, yes. Okay. The, okay. The theistic evolution idea that Evolution happened, but God directed it. Yes. So Ken Ham spends a few pages, <laughs> you know, talking about the scriptural implications and one uh, of these solutions where you can say, see, we're all right. You're right. Right. I'm right. Right, right. Yeah. But but Ken Ham wouldn't agree. I mean Everybody's wrong way, except for me. <laughs> in this way, Ken Ham and you and I kind of have something in common. We're yeah. like, no, there is something that happened. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what it was that happened. Yeah. So okay. we, and I, I respect that it on that it. level. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, game recognizes game. Um, but <laughs> on page 36, he kind of tells us it, it's one of those like, oh, you're saying the quiet part loud mm-hmm. kind of things. Here's what he says. The book of Genesis teaches that death is the result of Adam's sin and that all of God's creation was very good upon its completion. All animals and humans were originally vegetarian, but 
If we compromise on the history of Genesis by adding millions of years, we must believe that death and disease were part of the world before Adam sinned. You see, the alleged millions of years of Earth history in the fossil record shows evidence of animals eating each other. Diseases like mm-hmm. cancer in mm-hmm. their bones, violence, plants with thorns, and so on. Mm-hmm. All of this yeah. supposedly <laughs> takes place before man appears on the scene, and thus before sin and its curse of death, disease, thorns, carnivory, etc., entered the world. Christians who believe in an old earth, billions of years, need to come to grips with the real nature of the God of an old earth. It is not the loving God of the Bible. <laughs> and then uh, the next page, 37, he, he says, The God of an old earth cannot therefore be the God of the Bible, who is able to save us from sin and death. Thus, when Christians compromise with the millions of years attributed by many scientists to the fossil record, they are, in that sense, seemingly worshiping a different God, the cruel God of an old earth. And people must remember that God created a perfect world. So when they look at this present world, they are not looking at the nature of God, but at the results of our sin. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Like, and, that's that's yeah. the mission statement of this guy's entire career. Right. And on one hand, he's right about the implications. Yes. But he, then he, he just, is. he takes a different path. Yeah. Than uh, we both eventually did. Yep. Uh, but he sees the problem. Yeah. He honestly sees and faces the problem. Right. Because you have to ask, okay, even if God guided this process, why did he want to stare at bacterial life for 3 billion years? Yeah. You know, eventually this is going to be something that worships. Me, I can't wait. <laughs> Let's get more oxygen into this atmosphere. It's gonna be ripe eventually. For Carrie, she's gonna sing praise songs. This, oh, I love it. Mm. This light sensitive patch will become an eye that will become the written word that will become the Bible that Carrie will read. Oh, look at these proto feathers. That's great. Eventually, this will be something that can be killed on an altar for me. I bet I'm gonna love the smell of its descendants burnt for me. Yeah, when you put it all together, it is kind of crazy. And you can say, okay, well, this is one verse that he's really choosing as a hill to die on, that mm-hmm. there was no sin before Adam and Eve. But but it's tied to the whole plot line of why yep. Jesus needed to show up, you know, because sin had entered the world and he's supposed to be the solution to that. So, yeah, you're right. He sees that in this important edifice and he fights for it, even though, uh, yeah, what's up with all of these ancient fossils with animals showing up in the bellies of others? Mm-hmm. Let's let's discard all of that. Yeah. Let's discard everything that's written all over the surface of the earth and keep this story that we we really like. Not ideal. Amazing. Not an ideal way to handle information. So the the part that we just walked through on the first deck, this was all just to establish, here's how they could do it. Here's what it looks like. And I got to say, even though it only fills up maybe like a third of that first deck, it is very effective in helping you realize like, oh yeah, this thing is huge. You can fit a lot of stuff on here. Yeah. It's a lot of cages. You could fit a lot of kinds of animals there. Well done. Then in this next section, they actually start showing you some animals inside of the cages. Okay. Should I give you a Stephen Mason update? Oh, yeah, yeah. What did he say? He said, they haven't, but wow, what a crossover possibility. Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hearting it. (laughs) That's amazing. He's still typing, but he says, I've never been there. Never will. (laughs) Although dinosaur world, maybe. Okay. I don't know what that is. Dinosaur World. Oh, dinosaurworld.com, Florida. Yeah, is that the Kent Hovind one? Oh, you can dig for fossils there. Oh, boy. What is this? Oh, and there's one in Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, Florida, Kentucky, and Texas. 
Wait, what is this? Oh, well, let's go to that one. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm asking. With Steven. Oh my God, wait. Yeah. Should the three of us go? Let's see. Yeah, because he's based out of Tennessee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, wait, was one of them Tennessee? The one was Kentucky. Okay. I feel like Steven would be a very fun tour mate. A hundred percent. I got to say, like, looking through the website, so far I'm not seeing any giveaways that it's okay. ideological. It'd be very funny if we showed up and then we were just like, oh, this is just dinosaurs. Oh, this is, oh, this is legit. How boring. <laughs> this is real information. And edifying. We can't release this. I haven't seen a single mention of Jesus Christ on this uh, okay. website. It's dog-friendly too, Carrie. Shit. Well, now we gotta go. This sounds like a classy place. Dinosaurs are believed to have gone extinct about 65 million years ago at the end of the Cretaceous period. What? Oh, that's so This is correct. misinformation. <laughs> exactly. Com- comes from convergent Blech. lines of investigation. Oh. I want one line of investigation. <laughs> I want people who ignore things <laughs> that are not convenient. <laughs> Speaking of amazing places to go, you know where else is amazing to go on the internet, Carrie? TheTragicWhale.com? That's highly specific and also exactly what I was thinking. Oh my God, it's because a jumbotron just flew through the window and bonked us in the heads. Oh, you can see that too. Okay. Well, it comes from Norm McLennan. Great name. I love that it's so hard to get from the first name to the last name. Norm McLennan. Yeah. I think of Norm McLaren, who is a Canadian animator. I think of Mike Cleland. Oh, yeah. I like to have to work to get your name out of my mouth. Some words are just harder to say. Mm, deep. Which uh, shapes our language. But uh, <laughs> the tragic whale is actually back. <laughs> They've been on the podcast before. Yes. They say, we're back after our last Jumbotron in 2020, thanks to the community for the support last time. Love to hear it. You, you are all awesome. That's right, you. <laughs> you are awesome. Ross is gesturing to the empty room. He turned away from me into you, the theoretical listener. I'm seeing you. <laughs> no, the specific listener. I'm okay. seeing them. You're pointing at my leopard statue. But... Uh, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> But uh, you know what's great about Norm is that he is married to a Carrie, and he says, my wife Carrie designs really cute fabrics and makes flat bottom bags, scrunchies, and more, including cat bags with tiny little cat ears. Aww. And 5% of sales get donated to a different charity each month. And in 2022, she introduced the Pride Collection, where 10% of sales are donated to the Trevor Project. That's great. And actually, I was thrilled to see this Jumbotron fly through because I have a tragic whale item that is on me most of the day, most days. That's fantastic. I'm going to make a clang, clang sound. Clang, 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 what the carry? It is this little tiny bag that attaches to my keys, and it's just big enough to hold one reusable mask. And so I always have a reusable mask with me. Uh, very cute. Chickens. Yeah, it's got chickens on it. That's great. It's brown yeah, I love with chickens. It. Uh, though I am distracted by that huge mass of keys you have. <laughs> That's wild. Are you? Oh, well, I put so much work into carrying the minimal amount of stuff in my pockets. Wow. That is my key wow. collection. Wow, you need a keychain. <laughs> Do you want this broken one? Nope. Huh. Well, okay, you got to have your mail key, and you got to have your house key, and you got to have a thing that reminds you that's your house key, and then you need your Chipolo to tell you where your keys are, then you need your reusable mask. Yeah, this is a thing. Then you need... Wow. What's that? So many keys. Then you need your car key, then you need the key to your bike, then you need the tomato art fest thing from... Where does all this go? East Nashville, Tennessee. You don't really carry a purse, do you? Yeah. 
It's okay. in that little tiny backpack. That's how I picture Carrie with the tiny backpack. And that makes then sense. you got to have your Automotive Marketing Solutions Inc. card. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and you need your Petco card, Ralph's, the LA Public Library, and the YMCA, which of which I'm not a member. <laughs> Wait, can you hold up your keys and my keys next to each other? I want a picture of this. <laughs> okay, let's take pictures at the same time. Okay. okay. <laughs> Never has a more Ross and Carrie thing been done. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> but the important it's- takeaway is check out thetragicwhale.com for cute, high quality, and handmade bags, scrunchies, and earrings as well. I'm going to go on there right now and get something else to put on my keychain. <laughs> <laughs> parenting it's hard but don't worry you're not alone belly up to the low bar with one bad mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough they want to climb on different things and how am i supposed to keep them both from dying (laughs) there is a right way to do this and if i can figure out that right way i'm going to be a good parent so that is not a thing so join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Bullseye, Tom Hanks, as you've never heard him before, mad. You moron. Thank you for the use of the turn signal. Way to use your blinker, idiot. That's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Well, before we move on, Ross, yeah. I got to tell you about a quick conversation I had with our old friend Jaron today. Oh, Jaron, I owe him an email. Yes. Okay. Jaron Campanella was a guest on the show. He's a flat earther. He does not believe in creationism. Yeah, psh, silly. Or even or even necessarily a personal God. Uh, that's, but, it's so weird to carve those distinctions as you're talking to someone like, okay, you're flat earther, but I'm not a creationist. Right, right. Oh, okay. All right. I won't put you in that category. Well, what yeah. does that do for you? Yeah, Anyways. but it's interesting. I, and anyway, he's been apparently sort of at odds with a lot of his community lately mm-hmm. because they mostly are creationists. Right. And when he's, yeah. like, he's not into Trump, he's... Uh, oh, man. Yeah, he, he doesn't cool. really... Uh, he might be like so-so on like the God concept, but he's definitely not a Christian. So, wow, um, quite the um, path you blazed for yourself. I love it though, yeah. I We've really had him on the Jaren. show before. If <laughs> you haven't heard our interview with Jaron Campanella, he was also featured in the uh, Behind the Curve yes. documentary, which yes. is very well named. So anyway, I'm reading this Answers in Genesis book and I come across this line. So the title of this chapter is Don't Creationists Believe Some Wacky Things? Mm-hmm. The author is Bodie Hoge. Great name. Uh, great name. And the first claim that Bodhi is going to dispel is the claim that biblical creationists believe <laughs> the earth is flat. And Bodhi says, this charge is often leveled at biblical creationists the moment the Bible is brought up. As far as I'm aware, no biblical creationists believe this. No. Come on. Why would you? <laughs> so I just, I'm like, cool, this will be easy to check. So now, I- <laughs> granted, this was probably written before the modern resurgence of flat earth movement. Oh, that's that's... Good question. It was a more it was a more fringe and often tongue in cheek thing until like 2015. Well, this was actually printed in November 2021, but first printing November 2006. How much was it updated? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Might have been more true at the time, but still. Yeah. Still. None. No. Google it. Like even in 2006. Google it. Show me a flat earther, and if he's not Jaron Campanella, I'll show you a creationist. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, now everyone's going to email Ross and tell him about three people they know. Don't. Who are flattered. Don't do it. <laughs> he doesn't mean it literally. <laughs> so I text this to Jared and I say, I'm reading this book by a creationist and he's insisting no biblical creationists believe the earth is flat. Laughing face. He said, ha ha, oh, there's plenty. I've been doing entire shows about how wrong Christianity is. People hate me. This is so funny. And here's this answers book saying, now we're not that crazy. Right. We're not one of them. And right. he's doing the same thing. Oh, we're not one of them. Yeah. But you know, the, so are we, right? Like that's yeah. what everybody's doing. It's only on the strength of the evidence that we can decide who's right about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but from our vantage point, this looks very fun. <laughs> and then also in this chapter, just by the way, Bodhi says, believing in a younger age of the earth, about 6,000 years, is a corollary of trusting the Bible. So just another, mm, just mm -hmm. a little, another little slip of like, here's all my motivation. It's funny because they really do wear it on their sleeves. They don't seem embarrassed to be mm -hmm. like, oh, I have an ideological predisposition. Their, their response to that is, and so do you. Uh-huh, right. Which, yeah, I'm like kind of okay with. I'm like, okay, all right, let me think about what mine is. I guess here it's being really honest about evidence and like not yeah. turning away. And yep, you're right. I have a principle that's at play, but I just mm -hmm. feel better about my principle than about yours. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just a matter of taste? Well, there's there's that evidence again. And are we looking yeah. at all of it or just a, a curated slice? Yep. Very oh, interesting. Also, yeah. let's take this like character profile survey thing recently for class. Mm -hmm. And the highest value that came up for me, the thing that supposedly I value the most okay. was love of learning out of like 26 things. Your regular Eve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the Eve story really. That's why you fell for the like, serpent. Man. Love of learning. Oh. Yeah. I have the worst trait possible as my top one, according to this story. I feel like that's a good trait. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I like to think so, but God doesn't think so. Sorry, Bible. Yeah. To the point in that book, you can point to many passages in the Bible that refer to the four corners of the earth. What does that mean yep. if you yep. don't have a flat earth? And then they'll say, ah, oh, but look at in Psalms when they refer to the circle of the earth. Okay, different authors. There's, there's always mm -hmm. this idea like we answer a criticism of the Bible or a point made from the Bible with another point from the Bible, just with this mm -hmm. idea that the entire book speaks as a unified front. Right. It does not. No. It's just the, the best debate point against the Bible is some other part of the Bible mm -hmm. on the same point. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Well, very fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. No, no problem. Me. Okay. So next we get into this section where you can actually see through the slats and the cages. We're going to have some macrofauna, some larger creatures. So admittedly, they're not going to create sculptures of all 1,398 kinds that they've established for the Ark, but they want to give us some representative kinds and again, illustrate Here's how we would have stored them. Here's how that would look. So here on the first floor, kind of next to all of these small creature pens, we start to see some of the larger creatures. So this is what I think everybody first wants to ask me is, are there dinosaurs on the Ark? Mm. When they hear that I've been there, they say, oh, are there dinosaurs? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That like, was not my first question. Yeah. What was your first question? <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't have to answer um, that. <laughs> I don't even remember. Oh, I wish I knew. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I just know how much I hate that when I say like, oh, that wouldn't have been my first question. And then to be immediately asked, oh, what was your first question? <laughs> yeah, no, That's funny. not why I formed that <laughs> sentence. 
to set you up for that. I, I feel pretty confident saying in 90% of the conversations I've had with people about the Ark, the first thing I do is pull up my phone to show them, yes, here are some of the sculptures of dinosaurs. That's nuts. I don't think this even occurred to me. Or dinosaur-like creatures on the Ark. Huh. Uh, because- Oh, I know. What, I bet my first question was like, were they talking about Roe v. Wade? Because you were on that ship when that happened. Oh, yes. And- I'm sorry, that barge, that barge. <laughs> <laughs> Still got to do 20 push-ups. Good point. Good question. And yes. Oh, yes. Did we hear about Roe v. Wade? I bet. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, am I going to have a story to tell you about? I was about... on my freaking honeymoon when we learned that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the whole Dobbs decision. Awful. Yeah. Well, and it was the leak. It was the leak. That's right. Before. But it was clear what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then everyone was all incensed about the leak. To kind More of excited. People thought it was like a liberal. I was like, do you guys not understand how this works at all? I, I've never heard any follow-up on that. Did they ever find? Find out who made the leak? I don't think it's public knowledge who made the leak anyway. Okay. What we're referring to is that there was a pre-announcement that the Supreme Court was working on a decision to overturn Roe v. Wade uh, in this other case that had come up. Roe v. Wade, of course, being the decision that says states cannot say abortion is illegal in this state. Yeah, that had been president for like 50 years. Anyways, yeah. definitely, uh, that's a big talking point for them here on the Ark and the Creation Museum. So yeah, there are dinosaurs on the Ark. And I, I guess it's just because it feels like like a myth colliding with science in ways that we've kept them separate. You know, mm, the Noah's mm-hmm. Ark myth in the mind of the public is the giraffes and the elephants and the lions getting on this boat. Uh, but then we have this other story that we've been handed from a totally different source mm. of all of these ancient creatures that we never got to see because they died out long, 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 long before humans. Mm. Uh, and yet we've reconstructed them. And so th- just these things don't oh, mix. Yeah, yeah. And it's now, like Full House meets Family Matters. It's <laughs> like forced yeah, they're episodes. In, they're in the same universe what okay clap 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 (laughs) i recognize this (laughs) these mental images that society has given us do not go together you're telling me there's dinosaurs on the ark how did they work that out okay Uh, so one of the very first cages that i saw was for the sphenoconted kind Hmm. not something that uh, we would you know normally roll off of our tongues Mm-mm. and the representative that is shown is dimetrodon and so they give us its current status like what representative types would be or modern extant versions of that animal and then any stats that they have about it like how long it is this one can be two to 18 feet and then they'll give us some little talking points about each one of them. And then if you look inside, there's a, a light shining dramatically on mm. these beautifully sculpted dinosaurs or synapsids with uh, kind of sails on their back. Kind of looks like an iguana or something. Yeah. But massive. Yeah, we're talking like a 600-pound animal. The sculpting is just amazing. Like, yeah, it's, it's very pretty. Really well done. Again, they spared Man. no expense. Their lead artist, we just looked this up, is Doug Henderson. That was so funny because there was this one video we found that just kept calling him the lead artist, Doug. And he introduces <laughs> himself as Doug, which leads me to think that for some reason, they did not want him to use his full name. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they didn't want people to contact him or yeah. try to like steal him away to do other work because he's so talented. Did he have a Chiron and it just said Doug? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know. Huh. It's like calling him house number. <laughs> yeah, yeah King, King's Almost, number yeah. 528. But you found Henderson. Where'd you find it? Uh, just by doing a search for Arc Experience Sculptor Doug. Then I could see Doug Henderson. So, on their site? Uh, on their Facebook. 
book, okay. I think. Anyways, it invites questions. So a, a team of artists worked on these, but yeah, they are legitimately great sculptures. Mm-hmm. And they've already warned us that there's some artistic license in mm-hmm. how they present them. But it looks like something you would see in a natural history museum. Uh, so some talking points about this one. Though the family name Sfina Contidae is generally unfamiliar, many people are acquainted with the kind's most impressive member, Dimetrodon, often associated with dinosaurs, Sphenocodonts were actually non-mammalian synapsids, there we go, being more similar to mammals than dinosaurs or modern reptiles. Then we get something far more recognizable, the bear kind. The bears. I like also they give a little warning, and you almost expect it to say do not feed, but it just says do not touch. (laughs) Oh, whoa, okay. Yeah, great bear sculptures. Yeah, these are dark-skinned bears. They look as sad as I would expect them to in their small cages. Oh, yeah. Well, you know. This is their one chance to survive. Yeah, no, it's that or the floodwaters bear. What do you want, happy. huh? You want to be in here? We're giving you insects. Yeah. Stop complaining, bear. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I see it. I see it. They saw it realistically. This would suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair. The representative is the Agriotherium. The short-faced bear of the Ice Age could reach a top speed of around 40 miles per hour. Whoa. Physical and molecular evidence confirmed that giant pandas belong in the bear kind. Okay, they're trying to solve that problem. Do we mm. need a separate kind for pandas? Interesting. Um, and they had a separate little display here to answer the question of how did Noah keep the polar bears cool? And essentially the answer to that <laughs> is... Uh, yeah, it's a problem. Again, we only needed to protect the kind. The polar bear could have evolved from this bear. Oh, wow. Maybe okay. we, we would not choose to use the word evolve, but, you know, <laughs> it's it's still a bear <laughs> and it just adapted for cold weather. And, and could it have sex with one of the other bears and reproduce viable offspring? Mm, these are good mm. questions. Well, let's read the sign. I think it's worth doing. Okay, Skeptics fair. often mock the concept Uh-oh. of the Ark and its animals, so they develop questions designed to make the Ark look foolish. However, when one thinks about the Ark from a biblical perspective, mm. the skeptics' questions end up looking foolish. One of these questions has to do with polar bears. How did Noah keep them cool on the ark? There are two... That's how the sign's supposed to be read. There are two major problems with this question. First, polar bears do not need to live in a cold climate. They're special... What? Well, I don't know. I've seen them in LA, so I guess that's true. At the zoo, you mean? Yeah. Or are they at your house? Yes, at, at my zoo, house. At the zoo, they're in like You've never noticed the polar bear at my house? No, not once. You have a cat. And you didn't see the bear standing right I behind the cat. I gotta look around me more, man. I've got my... My face and my phone, clearly. Their special adaptations are well-suited for an icy climate, but many warm-weather zoos house polar bears. So even if polar bears were on In the, the ark, AC! <laughs> fair. Even if polar bears were on the ark, there would not have been a need to keep them cool. Second, this what? question assumes that polar bears were on the ark, but they were not. Polar bears are members of the bear kind. We know that polar bears can produce offspring with grizzlies and other brown bears, and brown bears can interbreed with black bears. Thus, the various bears of the world belong to the same kind. The two bears on the ark were the ancestors of the many bears in the world today, including polar bears. I'm surprised they didn't say, thirdly, that it's quite likely that there were no poles at the time because there was one landmass. Oh, good point. Yeah. Oh, so. there you go. You're That's welcome. That's the way out. You're welcome, Hello? Tim Chafee. Use that. Add that to your sign. You're pointing at the leopard statue again. 
I think Ross is losing it. I'd like it if the wallpaper behind the leopard was uh, one of those magic eye <laughs> That'd be cool. paintings because it kind of looks like it should be. Yeah, kind of. Okay, the next kind is named for one of the seven deadly sins. Ooh, sloth. Yeah, <laughs> you figured that out quickly. Well done. The sloth kind. Sloth. Nothing particularly interesting here on the sloth kind sign. They just hang out. All stuff we know. But uh, yeah, these look like some ancient sloths. Very cool looking. Whoa. And I should say, for these larger pens, they are larger than the animal itself. So it has a little bit of room to move around. Very hard to photograph because you've got these slats. Yeah, you did a good job. So yeah, the, this is me just like sticking my camera inside the cages and hoping the video surveillance would not send some Answers in Genesis staff to tell me to stop. I know the you know user here is also very skilled, but what kind of phone are you using there? These pictures are so good. Thank you. Uh, this is an iPhone 13. Okay. Yep. And the cameras are just like better every time. It's really impressive. I've gotten very lazy. I don't usually carry around like a full digital SLR, but yeah, you can get such great pictures. Yeah, you really can. Off of phones. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah. And th- this is a great opportunity to use like all of the wide angle lenses mm-hmm. to capture these crazy big pan panoramas or the panoramic mode you know it Mm -hmm. it definitely uses all the functions of your camera to capture this and definitely i'll have to be posting a bunch of these pictures on online maybe maybe not after this episode but definitely there will be a huge picture drop coming in the future okay then we have the deer kind yep okay male and female i see one's got horns very good Mm -hmm. (laughs) cloven hooves actually i don't i don't recall actually seeing an exhibit with seven representative animals Though they do have a sign later that addresses the seven versus seven pairs conundrum. Oh, I didn't even track that. I'm sure you've said it, but it, it didn't land. So there are there are certain species where they had seven of them. Yes. Oh. The clean ones. The clean Presu- ones. <laughs> yeah. The ones, <laughs> the ones that have been defined as acceptable to... Eat. Uh, well, to sacrifice to God. I see. <sighs> okay. You need more of those so that you can sacrifice them? Yeah. God. Yeah, so you can kill some of them on the ark, presumably. Yeah, God. God is, that's right. God is the one who wants that. (laughs) Yeah, everything in this story. Is that why you keep saying God's name? So bad. (laughs) Yes. God, what are you doing? Well, again, this is funny from the novelization that I'm reading is that Noah is vegetarian and everyone else in his sphere is. And he looks with derision on Lamech, the king who is eating fish. And he's like, oh, oh, I couldn't even tell what he was eating. Oh, it's, ooh, it's the flesh of a fish. That's disgusting. Oh, okay, Noah. Yeah, like. I'm listening. That's one of like the signs of sin in the world is these people yeah, eating animals. Uh, and yet right outside, you know, they're serving brisket. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so confusing. Why don't they have. So confusing. Credible veggie options at the Ark encounter. So strange. Culture. So strange. Entirely culture. No, but at least have the option. That's so weird. No, I know. I just mean defensive like macho American culture and just yeah. being like well we'd look like sissies you know I bet you anything that's what it is yeah it's just like the Seventh-day Adventists they found a way to make that a doctrinal thing that yeah. we need to keep being vegetarians and very clearly at least Tim Chafee and I assume others on the staff felt that that was what God intended mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. we were made mm-hmm. to not eat meat yeah uh, when I was working in animal rights we'd often maybe we talked about this I'd often run into the Christian vegetarians who oh. would set up their booths at the vegetarian festivals and stuff. Cool, we're aligned on this. Yeah, and they would just be like, well, uh, we 
think that the original state of man was to not eat animals. So yeah, if you can swing it, you should do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know we've talked about the scriptural implications of this later, but I imagine Ken Ham would respond to this by saying, yeah, well, this was before and now this is after like God let down the sheet to Peter and gave him the vision and said, take, eat. Yeah. You know, so yeah, God outside the ark, we eat animals and we don't feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. But also the Bible says that God is <laughs> never changing. <laughs> All right, then we get to the pig kind. Oh, I love pigs. Okay. So here is the pig kind. A nice furry, dark pig. Boars, yeah. Yeah. And whenever the science is convenient, they're happy to share it. It says on the sign, a gene duplication unique among mammals is present in both pigs and peccaries, indicating that they likely share a common ancestor and are thus members of the same kind. Happy to have genetic evidence when it fits the story. Great. I'm glad. You know what? Great. They have found places where they agree, and I'm going to accept the olive branch extended. That's great. (laughs) Fossils reveal that pigs have changed relatively little in the past 4,200 years. That's as long as they're willing to accept okay. fossil evidence. Yeah. I think okay. we could show them some older pigs and they'd be like, well, you just misstated those ones. Oh, right. But the ones that you say are 4,000 years and more recent, A-OK with mm-hmm. those. And then we get to the caseid kind, C-A-S-E-I-D. Yeah, they should put little, what's it called? How, how to say this on there. A little pronunciation guide. Yeah, that would yeah. be very helpful. Uh, so this is something that looks like kind of a turtle without a shell. That oh, that's a cute buddy. Living where walruses are. I'd picture them by the ocean, like the tide pools or something, making a, a fun sound like... Yeah, yeah. This guy would definitely be the character in a Disney movie who's somehow simultaneously wise but bumbling. <laughs> <laughs> Caseids were rather bizarre looking with proportionately small heads, sprawling stances, and massive plant processing guts. Uh, They're uh, non-mammalian synapsids. Mm, That's what I was thinking. So I think including these, they're trying to habituate us. Oh, the animals that you know are here, the deer, the bears, the Mm. the pigs, but also some that you may hear about in the science textbooks. Hey, they were here too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were all part of the same story. They just happened to have died out after. A smart technique. Because then when you totally. hear about those in the real world, you won't have that cognitive dissonance going, wait, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't even told about this. Oh, that must have just died out soon after the ark. Okay. If mm-hmm. I look up my little handbook, oh yeah, that's mentioned as one of the, okay, I feel good about uh, my view on life. And even I notice, like on some of these where we all think, well, of course, this hasn't existed for millions of years. It'll say presumed extinct. Like there could still be <laughs> one out there somewhere. Touché. Who are we to say? <laughs> I guess. Sure. So here's a, a nice little like spiny creature. Ew. It's pretty exciting. Whoa. The periosaur kind. Status presumed extinct. <laughs> yeah, we would notice this. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this is hard to miss. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, it looks like, like a walking rock with barnacles on it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a good description. Yep. So again, this but is- huge, like a couple hundred pounds. This is one they're just kind of preparing you later on to be like, oh yeah, everything was on the ark. Yeah. Okay, and then this one is super exciting. The istiodactylid kind, status presumed extinct, adult wingspans, three to 22 feet. Representative shown, specimen- Smink Pal 1136. That's very specific. So these look like pteranodons. Oh, yeah. Totally winged dinosaurs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I guess technically not dinosaurs. This is where we want to first all the emails of like, well, it doesn't count as a dinosaur. But, you know, things that we kind of lump in those prehistoric creatures. Yeah. 
I don't know any of those prehistoric animals. And we haven't mentioned another obvious counter that is often given when people say, oh, well, these animals are too big to mm-hmm. store. Of course, they'll say, well, we get the juveniles. You know, you put them in there and then they grow up and oh, they, sure. they get bigger after they leave the ark. Granted, they were in here for a year. So that's... Yeah, a lot of things grow up. Entirely in that time. Quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. Like a cow. Get quite big in a year. Nicknamed duck-billed pterosaurs for the shape of their beaks, it seems that these toothy flying reptiles tended toward a predatory lifestyle. And of course, they couldn't have done any of that predation. Unless Eve wanted to go to school. So we know they existed after the fall. That's interesting. I wonder if they believe there are any animals that died out just before the flood altogether. Just just, uh, as an accident of nature or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, or human predation. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, lovely, lovely sculptures of those. And then we've even got another very hard to pronounce, Azdarkid kind, A-Z-H-D-A-R-C-H-I-D. Mm, as, that's a cool looking word. Azdarkid kind. Feels like something Alistair Crowley would make up. Totally. The representative shown is the oh. Quetzalcoatlus. Okay. Oh, that's fine. There we go. Now, now definitely we've got one of these like giant winged flying... Ooh. But apparently enough of a different family that they thought that would be a separate kind. But but yeah, they've got these like crests on their heads and these long beaks. Very cool. Achieving the height of a modern giraffe. Whoa. Max weight of 550 pounds. How could they fly? That's so crazy. Anyways, yeah, these are the pictures that I show people when they ask me that. Like, wow, is that really on the ark? Yep. That's on the ark. Wow. So just to cover that point again, we were talking about 7 or 14. They have a sign dedicated to that conundrum. Some Bible translations indicate that Noah was to bring seven of each flying creature and clean animal. Oh, that's right. Flying creatures as well, clean or otherwise. Mm. So owls, yeah, seven. Insects. Yet other Bibles state that seven pairs of these creatures were on the ark. So then they even give us a little diagram showing us the, the Bible versions. The ones that say that there are seven of each kind is mm-hmm. King James version. And of course, New King James, NASB, the NET Bible, which I like, the Net Bible. NIV also says that uh, as of the 1984 version. Interesting. Oh, interesting. And then some of these have little asterisks because the Bible version itself mentions the translation difficulty there. But then there are other translations that mention seven pairs of each kind. So 14 individuals. That presents a problem. In the NLT, the ESV, the HCSB, the NRSV, and NIV as of 2011. So the Hebrew text literally reads, this is what they're saying, seven, seven, a male and his female. Does this unique phrasing mean seven or 14? In favor of the seven view is that Genesis 8.20 states that Noah sacrificed clean animals and birds after the flood. While it doesn't say that Noah sacrificed just one animal of each clean kind, those who hold to the seven view could point to the common six-in-one pattern seen in the Old Testament. For example, God created the world in six days and rested for one. Oh, man, I'm just trying. I mean, kudos to you for, like, staying with it. I just, <laughs> like, it's, oh, man, it, it seems like so much work to make this work for them. They conclude at the bottom, since Hebrew language scholars do not agree about this issue, yeah. it seems wise to be tentative about which view is accurate. Since yeah. we are using a worst-case approach to counting the animals, we have decided to base our calculations on the seven pairs position. So they're they're trying to show this ark could house 
All of those described animals as 14 individuals. Okay. We have enough room. <sighs> okay. Uh, and then we're also told we didn't need some of these other types of animals. So there's a sign here and a little illustration of mosasaurs and plesiosaurs and fish and anemones and mollusks. And they say, skeptics often include marine animals in their attempts to show that the ark could not house the required number of animals. Obviously, marine animals were not required on the ark. Obviously. Is that obvious? Because... Yeah, this is uh, not friendly waters. Oh, fair point. Not, yeah, fair point. Not every point. type of creature can live in this taller After than the mountain. Flood. That's a really good question. After a flood, is there a lot of like wash up of sea animals who have died? I, I would imagine so. Yeah, seems likely, but yeah, But yeah, even surviving for a year, you know, if you're the little blind cave fish, yeah. can you survive in all of this mixed salt water and yeah. motion? And, yeah, anyway. Loss of social groups that were critical for get, gathering food. And, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, very specific environments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. topsy-turvy. So they ha say- Has he not seen Finding Nemo? <laughs> right. Hello. So they say, obviously, marine animals were not required on the ark, but this raises an important question. How could freshwater fish survive the global flood? Okay. Freshwater and saltwater do not necessarily mix together, so freshwater layers may have existed within the global flood. Whew. This is what? special pleading. What? Like there's preserved bands of freshwater that those- In the water? Uh-huh. What? No. Uh, allowing the freshwater creatures to survive. Furthermore- Wait, we're picturing like a layer cake, right? Like freshwater, <laughs> saltwater, freshwater, saltwater that's in what, the water. Has this person seen water? That's what they're making it sound like. Oh my God. This is this didn't happen. I don't think this happens. <laughs> it's almost like this didn't happen. <laughs> Furthermore, since the oceans become saltier every year, the water during the flood would not have been as salty as today. Many fish such oh, as salmon- Has this person made pasta? <laughs> You've seen water move around, dude. Many fish, such as salmon, striped bass, and Atlantic sturgeon, live in both freshwater and saltwater during their lifetimes. In most families of fish, there are both freshwater and saltwater varieties, which may imply that the original marine creatures were more capable of tolerating both types of water. Oh, so my lord. That's a little bit of special pleading there. Good lord. And there's another really beautiful mural uh, with a bunch of long-necked dinosaurs. Yeah, that's cool, man. And it's got little arrows pointing out. It says, Noah didn't need to bring all of these. Okay. <laughs> Did you know, the mural says, up to 85 kinds of dinosaurs were on the ark, including two tyrannosaurids, two stegosaurids, two ceratopsids, and two brachiosaurids. He just needed two of these with the long necks. And he's pointing to like the juveniles again. To say like, yeah, you didn't need to bring these gigantic ones that we find the skeletons of that are nearly as big as the whole ark itself. Mm. Uh, you know, we just needed one of their kind. So there's a, a separate sign devoted to this that says, we're the largest animals on the ark. Many illustrations show creatures packed into a tiny, overloaded boat, but this image is inaccurate. The ark was much larger than commonly depicted, and many of the animals were probably smaller than people expect. It makes more sense to think that God would have sent Noah juveniles or smaller varieties within the same kind. In the case of dinosaurs, there may have been hundreds of species, but there were likely fewer than 85 kinds required on the ark. Many of them were smaller than bison, even as adults. Consider the following advantages to bringing juveniles or smaller versions of a creature. They take up less space. They eat less. They create less waste. They are often easier to manage. They are generally more durable. Regarding juveniles, they would have more time to reproduce after the flood. So 
There you go. There you go. And then they had a sign asking, how did we determine the number of animal kinds? Estimating the number of animals on the ark depends upon several factors. Near the top of that list is the decision to split or lump the animals that may or may not be related as a kind. And again, kind is not a scientific organization of animals. This is one that the creationists have uh, specifically chosen to use. And there will be more on that in the future because this is not the only deck that has animals on it. We'll encounter some more, some more obvious dinosaurs. So don't worry if you're like, oh shoot, that's all the animals. There are more on the (laughs) ark. Coyotes, wolves, dingoes, and domestic dogs can generally interbreed. Thus, they can be lumped into the same kind. So Noah just needed two of the dog kind on the ark. On the other hand, there are approximately two dozen known families of bats. Oh, yeah, they made a big deal about bats. And they did so much research on bats because they were <laughs> they're trying to lump them, but they just kept splitting. They got a hobby. Based on anatomy and other features, many of these families probably belong to the same kind. In fact, it is possible that every bat belongs to the same kind. However, since breeding <laughs> studies have not yet confirmed this idea, we have split the bats into their various families. So instead of including as few as 14 bats on the ark, we are depicting over 300 of them. In keeping with a worst-case approach to estimating the number of animals on the ark, the animals will be split into separate kinds whenever the data is insufficient to support lumping. So there you go. What I learned from that is that a person can make endless work for himself (laughs) if he's really interested in something. Fair. He's really got a goal. And that was the person who made this sign. (laughs) Well, we've walked now onto the first deck. We've covered the first half. And the back half we talked a bit about in the Tim Chafee encounter. I'll, I'll check through before the next episode, just see if there's any important details we missed over there. But I think next time we'll be able to head up onto the second floor okay. and check out a fun film and, oh, all kinds of interesting details about the fall of man. Okay. Well, thank you for taking us through the first level of the arc. Yeah. I hope you all had fun. And uh, I know that's often what people want to know is just what's on there. So mm-hmm. this is our chance to really look at exhibit by exhibit at yeah. everything on the arc. Cool. We're taking a week off, Mm -hmm. but then we'll be back with more. Also, I just wanted to tell you that Natalie Palomitas and I made a list. Oh, yeah. We made a ding-dong list. This is so funny. We make hidden- A top five. (laughs) We make this podcast, Hidden Mickeys, that's like- ostensibly a Disney podcast. It's Uh completely off the rails at this point. Okay. But it comes out like twice a year. No, it comes out every week. Okay. And, but people seem to think it comes out like once a year. It's very weird. Yeah, even the person who wrote this list was (laughs) unable to find many, many episodes, clearly. (laughs) But somehow we ended up number five on this list of like the funniest podcasts in the world from Time Out. Um, Anyway, go listen to Hidden Mickeys. We don't know why this is happening, but there it is. All right. Uh, there's a new episode I haven't listened to yet. I'm very oh, excited. It's very good. Executive produced by Matthew Strugar. It just came out recently, right? Yeah, yeah. Last okay. week or so. All right. Then I won't feel bad. I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, well, that is it for this episode. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. And our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher. Because we didn't give enough time for Victor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our network is Maximum Fun. Yeah. If you want to support the show, make sure that we can keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join, sign up there, become a part of the family, and that's how we keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And you can follow us on social media if you want to. We're at Ono Podcast on Twitter. We're at Facebook.com forward slash OnRack. And you can also just tell a friend. Mm-hmm. That's how you keep those bonds alive. You can make a sculpture that depicts me and Ross 
in sharp relief and put it out on your lawn. And then as people walk by, you can tell them the story of us. And they'll be like, oh, what a relief. Yeah, exactly. And remember. I am Stephen Mason, and I approve the music. Stopped raining for days. My world is a flood. Slowly I become one with the mud. But if I can swim after 40 days in my mind, is crushed by the crashing waves that be up so high that I can't afford to be alone. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.